in Seattle. Seattle. You need to buy yourself a home. We'll be right there for you. Because we're the realtors that you can trust. So go to ridingdancedown.com. Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. Hey, you guys. What's going on? Welcome to episode 595 of the Ron and Don Show. Almost 600 episodes. Can you believe it? And we are live with Charlie the Dog in the Les Schwab studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, let's talk about this. And I've been thinking about this a lot. They say one in four home buyers right now want to move to a different city. My son is 13 when he's 18. I'm going to start living somewhere else part-time. I thought that might be Maui, and then I woke up this morning and Maui's on fire. We got to talk about that because it seems like everywhere around the country right now is on fire. Phoenix, where we used to live, what was it, 31 days of 110 plus. Yesterday, it finally calmed down to 108 degrees. So uh, where are you going to move? It's amazing in Phoenix. They have built 250,000 homes since 2010, and they just continue to build because there's a lot of desert there. I just see all my friends that are down there right now that live there, and they're like, wow, this is the most miserable time to be in Phoenix. And it's just not one month down there where it's this hot. It's six and a half months where it's this hot. And then the rest of the time, it is amazing. So we'll talk about that. Also, why have Americans stopped going to church? Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. Oppenheimer, have you watched the movie? Barbie, have you watched the movie? Uh, (laughs) Everyone's saying that you should see both. I have not uh, jumped on board. I want to go see Oppenheimer because, of course, you and I growing up in New Mexico, that was always... In the background where, you know, we were just in the ether of like, hey, Manhattan Project, I have a, I don't know if you ever did this, but I have a very vivid memory. Um, we used to go skiing as a kid and there was a ski area in Los Alamos. So Los Alamos is where the labs were, where a lot of the research was done. They still to, are. The to, labs are to still developed all there. Yeah. The, the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the testing was done out and we can talk about sort of the Native American population rising up and saying, hey, this wasn't as desolate as you thought. But um, so I have a vivid memory of us. We were going to go skiing. We're driving up through Santa Fe. We go to Los Alamos. And in front of us, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, appears this military-style truck. And I remember there were these little sort of cages welded onto the corners of the vehicle. And there were military men uh, or at least men in uniform with machine guns mounted or like in this cage for stability, sort of strapped to the corners of this vehicle, just driving down the street. And, and I, you know, was like, mom, what in the heck is that? And she's like, oh, this, we're, we're in Los Alamos. We're going to the ski area. You're going to see things like this because this was the top secret area. So I have vivid memories of that, of going to White Sands as a kid, uh, the missile range and seeing that, of seeing, you know, we, we really stopped down in junior high history class, New Mexico history, where they would show you the footage of the mushroom cloud and the testing and the atomic winds and all of those things. So I want to go see Oppenheim, uh, Oppenheimer uh, because of just growing up in New Mexico. I haven't seen either of them. Barbie, I don't know if I have... I don't know if that's made for me. 
Like I, I, I just don't, I don't think I could make it through that. Have you watched the trailer? I've wa- I can barely make it through the trailer. Oh, really? You it don't, just, you don't it, like the soundtrack of the trailer? The soundtrack is great. The soundtrack's fine. I'm sure there'll be some moments. I, I like Margot Robbie. I think she's charming. I like Ryan uh, Gosling. is supposed to be very funny. He's supposed to be funny. But he's I, always wanted to be in a movie where he could be funny. They say that he's very funny. And then it's, it's and then is like, that Michael Sarah from from Arrested Development. That's one of the Kens. I'm sure I have to see him as well. He he plays Michael George in Arrested Development. George Michael. He plays George, George Michael. Michael. I have to see him as one of the cats. I, I'm sure, I'm thinking I'm going to. I don't you know. You want to go with me to Barbie? I do not want to go with you to Barbie. I, I think I would if go you, I think, I think if you came with me, I could get my son to go. I don't think who and and we would see Oppenheimer. I do, I don't know if I can get him to go see Barbie, but I have to say, a lot of my male friends have gone to see it, kicking and screaming, and they ended up loving it. So I've heard some interviews with Greta Gerwig. She's super smart. Uh, good director. And congratulations, first female director to, yeah. to go over a billion dollars. A billion dollars. That's Worldwide. Great. So uh, maybe it's better than we think, but like I just, uh, like I, I don't have as a big a desire as I do to see Oppenheimer. So if I get my son to go, would you go with us? Uh, if you're paying, if you buy me some popcorn. <laughs> All right. He'll come, if I say Mr. Ron's going to see Barbie, would you come with us? I don't think we'll wear pink. Maybe just a pink scarf or something like that. I, would, I don't have any problems with pink. All right. <laughs> I, like, I like the color pink. I yeah, Oppenheimer. Let's and, and let me because I have seen the movie. I saw it with with my son. Let me do. I'm I'm going to talk about something here that's not it's not going to ruin the movie for you because these are historical facts of things that happened. But there were a couple things that were left out of the movie that people are talking about. And by the way, it's a three hour movie. Right. It's a three hour movie. Christopher Nolan doesn't mess around. Well, and they say that he doesn't leave anything on the cutting room floor because because when when he writes directs produces and, and puts a movie together that it, it's very succinct. So there, there's no waste. You're not going to see a director cut of a bunch of stuff that he left out, but there are some things that critics have looked at and they said, Hey, I feel like he left these out. I will say this. If you're going to take a younger person, there's a couple moments in it where there's some, there's some sexual scenes and my, my son, and I don't tell him to look away. He just kind of looks away on his own. He, he just, he could be a great police officer, FBI agent someday because he's very, he's very good at self monitoring, and so he will look away at at at, uh, at some of these scenes. But and, and again, I don't want this to be a spoiler alert, but we are just talking about historical things. the 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 interesting thing about the movie is that when these bombs go off. I don't think a lot of people know historically, and I explained a lot of this to my son. I gave him the background of what was happening with the Nazis in 1939, why there was a rise of the Nazi regime, and why there even was a Hitler and why he was empowered. Uh, and so, so, so look into that. Why were the German people so mad after World War I? It's because Germany got carved up. It's what... It's what Russia is doing right now when you're trying to put the USSR back together. And Germany was trying to do the same thing because they felt like the, that, that Germany had been parted and pieced and taken away. And so when Hitler began to talk about a reunification and a rising up, a lot of people listened to that because there were a lot of Germans that were pissed off. Imagine in the United States, if we had a war with Mexico and then uh, Mexico came in and said, Hey, we're taking new Mexico back. 
I don't think that would bother a lot of Americans because a lot of people from the United States don't even know that New Mexico is part of this country. And I know that from living in New Mexico. Correct. But let's say they want to take Texas and a couple other states. We might be a little pissed off about that, right? So, so you have this rise, and what's interesting is they had scientists, we had scientists, the Russian had scientists, and we know that Einstein sends a letter to the president and says, there is something to this atomic energy. There is something to this atomic bomb. This is going to change the course of warfare. And then we know, this, this is around 1939 when he sends that letter to the president, well, we're staying out of it because we were already involved in World War One. But then in 41, we know that Pearl Harbor happens. We enter the war. And as a result of that, uh, Rosie Rivet starts building 114 aircraft carriers. And then we start building planes and bombers and B-29s. Men start training in the European theater uh, and also training in Hawaii to go to Japan. And, 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 and so what, what had happened is the United States sees all this carnage that Hitler has created, that tens of million people have died, including lots of Russian soldiers, and Americans have died. It's one of the reasons we didn't want to enter World War II, because we knew there would be more beach and trench warfare, and it would be even uglier than what we saw in World War I, right? Because that was horseback. Now World War II, we're mechanized. Now World War II, we're flying in men overhead, and we're dropping bombs and dropping men, right? Paratroopers, the first time you have the 101st and the 92nd Airborne, and here they come. Uh, and so... When, 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 you, when you look at what these scientists were looking at, what the president was looking at, they're looking at this, this, this bloody war that is coming to an end in Germany, but it's really only beginning as we head toward Japan. And we know when we get to Japan, because we're island hopping and we're heading to Japan, we know it's going to be even more brutal. We have German soldiers that are that would lay down their arms and say, hey, you got me. That wasn't happening with the Japanese soldiers. You read the accounts of what they would do when they would get a pilot uh, that, would, that, would, that would parachute out of a plane and a crew. They would take those pilots. They would cannibalize them. They would carve them up. They would eat their thigh meat. They would carve the thigh meat out when they were alive because they didn't want to waste a bullet. Uh, they would throw them in a ditch, throw dirt on them, and then they would eat that thigh meat. It was brutal, right? And these stories are starting to come back to the United States, and people aren't liking this. And the president looks at that and he says, "You know, you know, we're gonna, and we're carpet bombing the hell out of Japan. Out of the main, in fact, we killed a lot more people carpet bombing than we did when we dropped those two bombs. And still, Japan wouldn't surrender." We are nailing them, carpet bombing them with dummy bombs. And so the, the conversation becomes this in history. Do we pick up the phone, call the Emperor Japan and say, hey, we want to get you on a Zoom call. Oh, we don't Zoom yet. We don't have that technology. Hey, meet us in and, and pick a place in a space. And we have to show you what we created. And we're going to detonate a bomb in front of him and just let him know this is what's coming for Japan. We have created the atomic bomb. They didn't want to do it because they were afraid if the bomb didn't go off and it didn't work, that uh, Japan then would know the technology that we have. And as a result of that, uh, uh, they would bear down even more. And so, and so the president has to make a decision. He's talking to Oppenheimer, and they have they all have to make this decision. And their decision was, 
there will be less lives lost if we drop these two bombs because we think Japan, who wouldn't surrender, would automatically surrender. Here's three things, though, that we question in history. Number one, uh, some people say, some historians, that Japan and the emperor specifically would have surrendered if he was given an opportunity to see this bomb. And he was never given the opportunity until those bombs are dropped. And when the two bombs are dropped, we'd let them know, hey, we have this hydrogen bomb we're working on, and we have a lot more bombs than the two little bombs that we just dropped. So as a result of that, and I think you have 240,000 people that ended up dying in total uh, immediately, I think it was 110 or 120,000, and then the radiation after that. We don't see that in the movie. We don't see the carnage that it created in Japan. We didn't do that. You don't see that in the movie. The other thing that you don't see is the carnage that it created in New Mexico, not only for the Native Americans that lived around the White Sands Missile Range and around the Los Alamos Labs, but for a lot of those scientists. And you know that Oppenheimer, he ended up, Oppenheimer, he ended up dying at 62 years of age, and they say, well, it was from smoking cigarettes. I have family members that have worked in some of those labs. As a result of that, the federal government created something called the Patriot Act and the Patriot Fund a number of years ago. In fact, my mom was a beneficiary of that, and her husband was as well, because they worked in these labs. And in fact, she worked for one of the scientists that worked on the Manhattan Project, one of the German scientists. And I interviewed him when he was 96 before he died, and I've shared some of that story before. So what you don't hear about is a lot of these scientists and say Oppenheimer, well, he 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 died, he smoked too many cigarettes. And you see, my I, I have a relative that died. He has seven different types of cancer when he died. He knew that he was going to die young, and he did. And there are a lot of people, because the Los Alamos labs are connected to Albuquerque. Albuquerque is connected to Kirkland Air Force Base, which is connected to Sandia Labs. And all those work in conjunction with each other. In fact, all the stealth technology that you see coming out, all the UFOs that you see flying around, it's usually connected to Los Alamos, Sandia, uh, and the Air Force Base that, that is there as well. So we don't, we don't, the Native Americans aren't even mentioned. These scientists that lost their lives aren't mentioned, and the Japanese people aren't mentioned. The Japanese people, I have to say, that have seen this movie are pissed and angry and mad. I know, I, I, I know when some of the actors have talked about this film, they said, hey, it was three hours. We didn't leave. We, we couldn't tell the whole story. But is that part of the story, Ron, that, that shouldn't have been skipped? It's hard for me to say without seeing the movie because a movie, in my mind, it's not a documentary. It's a dramatization. It's a piece of art. And so you don't have an obligation to every person everywhere when you're making a piece of art. The art is created by the artist. And so he's trying to tell a story and uh, I don't, uh, knowing the body of work that Christopher Nolan has done, he, I'm sure that he told it pretty artfully. The guy's an incredible director and writer. Incredible. Yeah. But um, he's under no obligation to satisfy everybody. He's under the obligation he has is to have a vision, get the funding to create that vision, and then execute the vision. And if, if he did that, 
Uh, I give a large latitude. And now if you're, if you're Ken Burns and you're making a 10 part documentary series on Oppenheimer, that's a different art form. That's a different obligation. Uh, if you're saying I'm, I'm, I'm documenting history and I want to be fair and equitable to all sides, that that's not what Christopher Nolan's trying to do. So without seeing the movie, I'm going to just say that. Yeah. I have to say at the end of the movie, I looked because sometimes when you see a movie like this that's based on true events, you'll see at the end, there'll kind of be an explanation, right? And they'll say how things ended and what happened to him. And, and Nolan doesn't do any of that. You, you have to do your work when you go see this movie. I like what you said because it is a piece of cinema. It's not a docu-series. It is, if you look at it as a piece of cinema, one of the best movies I've ever seen. As far as a docu-series with everything I know, I give it a B minus. We will see you on the other side of this. Investors, listen to me. You know, some investors aren't really investors. They're flippers. They're looking to buy a house and uh, flip it. But did you know that 40% of all Americans that hold a mortgage were refinanced down to a 2.8, 2.9, or 3.0? That's why you don't see any homes on the market right now for investors. Unless, unless you're willing to get in there and compete and not flip. That means investors, instead of being a flipper, you have to do what I do and become a buy and holder, right? And we can teach you how to buy and hold investors with a Ronadon sit down. Yeah, it all starts really simply with a Ronadon sit down. It's about a 30 to 45 minute Zoom call, free of charge. There's no obligation. We'll see if we make a good team. Email me directly, ron at ronadon.com, or you can go to the website, ronadonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. You know we're realtors. If you need us, just reach out, ronadonsitdown.com. If you're buying, selling, investing, uh, just reach out, and we'll do a, a virtual meetup, and we can uh, sit down sometime this week or next. And if you're thinking about selling in the spring, we should be sitting down now, and we're talking to you kind of late summer of 2023 right now in case you're listening uh, to this message later on. Uh, just got done reading an article. This is interesting. They say one in four home buyers out there. Uh, are interested in moving. I also read another article that said there's an intrepid spirit in all of us to move west. And in fact, 70% of the people landed on the East Coast. When you go back and you look in the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, everybody moved west. I think what's really interesting right now is it seems like people are now moving south and they're moving east and they're moving southeast because we are seeing Florida right now become inundated where Ron's parents live. And this was supposed to be the affordable state, right? And it's becoming very, well, not very affordable at all. I was looking at some of the home prices in Naples the other day, Ron, where your parents live. You also see in Florida and Texas, one of you see people fleeing California right now as a result of that in fleeing California. If you've been in California, you've worked there, it sucks when you pay 39% uh, 
uh, taxes to the federal government, and then another 13% to the state of Florida. And then every well, time- Florida you, is no income tax. You're talking California. No, I, I'm sorry, California. And then every time you get out of the BART in California, you look around, and, and what's happening in our city in Seattle has been happening when I was 20, this has always been happening in San Francisco. But now you see the the all, you see people leaving, and the reason they're leaving is because- Stores are leaving, restaurants are leaving, bars are leaving, and it'll, it's going to be hard to get them to come back because people aren't up in those skyscrapers as much anymore, right? In some places in, Sacra- uh, in, in San Francisco, some of those sky- skyscrapers, some of those buildings, 40% of them inside are vacant, and that continues to grow. I think when you look at Florida, though, the attraction of that and the attraction of of Texas and the same thing here in Washington is you don't pay a state income tax. I know and people that I've talked to in real estate that have come here, uh, that is a big deal for them. Now, of course, we know we get taxed in other ways and it all uh, catches up at some point. But I do think it's interesting that people still have that intrepid spirit that they want to move and they want to move west. And Ron, now that people have the ability for some, not all, to not go to the office, uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch my son and his generation as they grow up, what they do, where they move, how they look at housing, uh, will they have a yard anymore? Will they live in shared spaces, multifamily? Uh, what do you see here? Because a lot of people now that have left Seattle, we see them going down. We see them going down to Arizona. So uh, I've really I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this, um, but more for me and also for you. I think as we're in our fifties now, and you you alluded to it in the previous episode. I, I'm I, I love Seattle. City I've always uh, felt like home since the the first day that I've been here. Of course, I was born in Mount Vernon, but didn't grow up here. When I came back, I was like, okay, I I, I have a connection to this place, but I I not in in the winter times when it's really dreary. And so I think both of us have reached this stage of our life to go. What where could I post up? for the times that I don't love being in Seattle. And, and there are those times and it's mostly weather related for me when it is, you know, 30 days in a row of rain or it's just dreary day in and day out. You go, okay, this, this is not, I, I'm not loving this right now. And so I, I've sort of opened my eyeballs to not just the United States, but uh, internationally of thinking about what would it be like to spend, um, you know, December or January, February, uh, in another country, not just another state of going, maybe I buy real estate overseas. Maybe I, I, it was funny. I was at a a party, a graduation party a, a while back. And, um, one of our friends, cousins just moved to Puerto Rico and they're like, Hey, it's the United States territory. I pay virtually no capital gains tax. There's never any hurricanes. Uh, but everywhere is, there's going to be something. So he's like looking at that and going, okay, that, that opened my mind a little bit. It's like, could I live in not full time, but would, I bet Puerto Rico is pretty nice in December, January. Yeah, my nephew was just there. He's a, he's a Pullman and he, he, he's a lineman for the county, as Glenn Camel would sing. And so he went down there to help rebuild after all the hurricanes they've had. They're still rebuilding. Uh, he's having a ball. And and so I, I think ball. your son's generation, I'm hoping we'll start to be, you know, we always talk about being a world citizen. It's really available to you now of yeah. going, okay, maybe I, 
Maybe I'm a month at a time. I'm going to go to Panama. I'm going to go to Colombia. I'm going to go to Brazil. I'm going to go to Portugal. I'm going to go to Greece, wherever it is. And I can, if I'm working a job that is tied to a laptop and Zoom calls and that sort of stuff, uh, I could post up there, do get some work done or figure out a way to where my life is not going to be tied to geography. I think that um, thinking about it, I'm stoked where you're like, hey, I, maybe I get a place in Maui. I think that would be fantastic for you. Like I know your lifestyle. I and, and actually imagine you in December getting up, cycling along the beach, going for a run, doing a swim uh, where you're not tied uh, to Seattle and going, okay, it's it's 40 degrees it's going to rain all day today. It's going to rain all day tomorrow. And I know now that you'll still go out and run in that, but I think it'd be a lot <laughs> more enjoyable if you were going for a trail run in Maui Yeah, it's pretty going co- for a trail run here. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And you can jump on your bike in the morning. You can ride your bike to go get coffee. You ride along the ocean. You get to the gym. You do your workout. And then on the way back, you can park the bike. You don't have to worry about anyone stealing your bike. You can just lean it up against a tree. Go jump in the ocean, go for a swim, and then go eat some lunch. Like that is that is that's an amazing start to your day right there. And and you can do that every day. But you could also do that in Costa Rica. You could yeah. do that in totally. Nicaragua. You yeah. could do that in Panama. I think I think it's gonna be interesting. And I and I wonder if if my son's generation is, is, if he's, he's gonna look at a job and ask himself this question. Because we never asked ourselves this question, am I going to have to report to an office every day, right? Right. That might become one of the criteria that I think people are now asking themselves that our generation did not ask themselves. You just you just did what you were told to do, and you went where you were supposed to go, and, and if it's going to take eight hours to complete this task every day, or nine hours, or 10, or by the time you're driving in the car, sometimes 12 and 13 hours, and then you're losing lack of sleep, anxiety, you're sitting at a desk... I, I think the quality of that life is pretty shiznit. So I, 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 I think not only are we going to see younger people move more, but I think you're going to see them take time off. I think we're already seeing that from their job and say, I'm going to take some of the money I have right now and I'm going to go live a little bit because I've watched my aging parent. Uh, I, 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 on the way to the gym every day, and I had to stop doing it because it was freaking me out as I walk by this where I park and then to the gym. And I walk by this Aegis Center every day, and I look in there, and I see the people that are still alive that they're just in there eating their Salisbury steak. And, and a lot of them, you know, a lot of people need memory care that are, that are in places like that. We're hearing a lot more about memory care, how expensive that is. I have a friend that's paying $21,000 right now for two parents, one of them in memory care. $21,000 a month is what they're paying. And I just look at that and I say, yeah, you know, longevity is great, but I have to do things right now as far as taking care of myself to make sure that I'm not hopefully sitting in that Aegis Center because I don't want to do that, man. I just, I, I don't want to do that. So I see even in my 50s now the ability to say, how much is enough what resources do I have and how can I live the life that I want to live right now? We will see you on the other side of this. Hey, 
it's Ron. I'm here with Mitch Weeks from Mitch.Loans. And Mitch, we've seen interest rates rise rapidly here uh, over the past year, 18 months. In the industry, what are you thinking is going to happen going forward? So they're still projecting rates are going to drop here near the end of the summer, definitely within the next year. And that means that now is the time to buy. So interest rates are going to drop. As we've said, we will help with the refinance on the back end. But rates dropping could mean a big influx in demand. Now, right now, there's a lack of supply, a lack of inventory, because people aren't willing to sell and get out of their low rates. If you buy now, you can beat the rush later. Okay, and also, then when the rates do drop, we can replace that rate with the new one. We sure can. Rate and replace. All right, he's Mitch at Mitch.Loans. You can buy now, replace the rate later when it drops, and Mitch take care of your loan fees. It's Mitch.Loans. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. We talked about this before. In fact, last week we said, hey, do you know how many churches there are in Seattle? A lot of those not being used or have very small congregations with very big maintenance bills. Some of those properties now are getting sold off. I wish they'd get reimagined and repurposed. I don't see a lot of that happening. Because it seems like there's a lot of great real estate out there that people have paid for when the basket was passed on a Saturday or Sunday and people tithe. Hey, have you been to the F5 building yet and seen what they do with that? That's, uh, I don't know if it was a synagogue or it was a church building. Mm. So the F5 building, if you're in Seattle, it's the one that has the diagonal... It's a, a pretty brand new skyscraper, and it has the diagonal stripes that go up the sides mm-hmm. right off of I-5. Well, right next door to it was a church building, and the church members wanted to sell it, yep. and the state came in and was like, no, this is like a historic landmark and this whole thing. And they're like, yeah, we can't afford it. The exact same thing that you're talking about. So the developer worked out a deal where it said, okay, we're going to build this it's half hotel, half office building, and we will incorporate, we're not going to demolish this historic church building. And they're like, great. So what they do now is you, if you go in there, it's the only hotel I've ever been in in the, in, in the world where you check in on the top floor. So you go into the building, you have to take the elevator to the very top floor. You come out and you have a panoramic view of the Puget Sound area in downtown Seattle. That's where you check into the hotel. But when you go down, they connected this brand new sleek glass skyscraper to this old brick and mortar. Um, it's a domed synagogue or a, a cathedral type of building. And now they do uh, weddings there. You do events there. Um, I saw a, a music act in there. And so when you go in, it's it's spectacular piece of architecture. That's great. And so along the top, that like the pipe organ is still there. Mm-hmm. Like they left that, but they cleared out all of the, you know, the pulpit and all of that stuff is gone. They put a bar up along the top where the, you know, the, the mezzanine seating would have been. It's straight out of like a Stanley Kubrick set piece. So you have this ultra modern with this ultra conservative stuff. And when you're in that building, it's like, this is a really ingenious space because they could have just made a standard convention center deal, but it, it keeps a lot of the elements of the religious building, and except it's very sleek, very modern. Uh, the way they did the, the bathrooms downstairs is also ultra modern. I encourage you, if you're down there, yeah. just pop in and ask the security guard if you can walk in there because you'll be like, wow, this is taking a building that the congregation could not afford anymore, not destroying it, 
not taking it down to the ground and, and building a new hotel. You have the new hotel and building right next to this and both of them, I think are great successes. Yeah. And as we, uh, that's great. I'm going to check that out. And as we said, Seattle ranks number two in the country, as far as having, having churches that are just kind of sitting, we have a lot of churches here that are sitting and, and probably need to be re- repurposed. The, the, the point of this though, and some of the research that I read is Americans in general, no matter what age, even boomers, we're not going to church anymore. Why is that? Um, I mean, I have my own theories, but like... Uh, well, that's why we're here. <laughs> that's why it's the Ron and Don Show podcast, and we're looking for Ron Upshaw's theory on this. I, I, I think what has happened is, at least with the evangelical churches, is sort of the, the politicization, if you will, uh, of taking this thing, and, and I trace it back to the eight, like seventies into the eighties, sort of the focus on the family movement, James Dobson, all of that sort of stuff. They they said we're going to take evangelical Christianity and sort of co-opt it as a political movement, and and so and they did. They were very successful at doing that through the the radio empire that he built and just going church by church, denomination by denomination, you got a lot of people to buy into politics as part of their religious expression. And we still see the ripple effects of that. I think that for many people that were more moderate in, in the middle of that, that they're like, this is not what I want to go to church for. Like, I don't want to go to church so that I can then spin that off into who I'm going to vote for and spin that off into like trying to shape the politics of my town and of my country based on church. So I think that those people got disenfranchised. Those people were like, wait a minute, this is not what this is about. Like I I don't come here on Sunday to set my political agenda. I come here to set my spiritual agenda. And then obviously I'm going to live my life in the way I live my life. Um, but, and then there's these pet issues that got attached to that movement. Chief among them was, uh, abortion and gay rights. Hmm. Those two things got tethered to this movement and the children of like kids, your age and one generation older than that, the society was like, Hey, this isn't as big a deal. Like if you tell, if you see kids today that are graduating high school and younger, it does not matter to them the sexual orientation of their friends. When you and I were in school, if someone came out as, as openly gay in high school, that would have been an, an atomic bomb in our school. It would have been a huge deal and they would have been persecuted and they, I think they would have felt for their safety, uh, felt like a lot of vitriol come their way. It's, that's not the case anymore. And so I think with parents saw children that they know come out as, as gay or different or queer or whatever that they said, good for them. Like that took a lot of courage when you know somebody or it's your friend's friend or someone in your friend group, when you know somebody that, that does that and you have proximity to that, you kind of go, huh, this is not my issue. I don't know why this is getting rammed down my throat week in and week out at my church because the kids that I'm meeting and watching them step into their own identity is a beautiful thing. And I want to support that. So I think you saw just a 
more moderate folks in the middle because of their own life experience step away from that and go, hmm, maybe this isn't for me anymore. What, what about you? What do you think? I think a lot of it, and, and I like that you went back to the 70s and 80s. I think the televangelist movement, which was a, a very big movement, and it was connected to the evangelicals. And then you, you can pick pretty much any televangelist, whether you know it's Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, um, or if you... Jimmy Swaggart. Jimmy Swaggart, for sure. If you look at Oral Roberts, and especially his son, uh, and what just happened at Oral Roberts University with Even Billy Graham, yeah, it just it it goes on and on and on, and so we see these huge failings, and as a result of that, it gets magnified because the internet now is a great magnifier, and so you, I have these people like like what is biblical about someone standing on a stage with a drum set, telling me what's right or wrong and how to live my life. Uh, and what a lot of churches did, a lot of what these evangelical churches did is they said, hey, you know what? This is a TV show now. And we just bought this property and we have this big building and we need to collect a lot of money to pay for this big building. But we also need to collect a lot of money to pay for the, the big house. Jimmy Swaggart is a multi, multi-millionaire. So is Jim and Fam- Tammy Faye Baker. Uh, the gentleman right now who's down in Texas. Uh, who Olstein. Yeah, he's, he has $40 million in the bank and a jet, and just it goes on and on. And what these guys did is they all embraced the prosperity doctrine, and they misquote scripture about how God wants you to have everything, and God wants us to have jets and cars and stars and the whole thing. And so I, I think a lot of people saw through that. They're like, that is not why I signed up for this. And, and, and I think as people have educated themselves— and have asked themselves, what, what do I think about abortion? What do I think about gay rights? It, it's easy sometimes when you join a church and they tell you what to think. It is harder sometimes to do your work and to figure out what you think. And I see this generation. I'm very proud of my son's generation. I love them. I love them. And I know everyone says they're growing up on screens and all that stuff. But you're right. When my son talks about gay people, when he talks about trans people, even in the way that he views women and girls and opportunity, affirmative action, all that stuff. He has opinions about all that. And, and, and he told me something the other day that happened and he said it was racist. And, and so I said, well, let's talk about that. And so we sat down and when we have our talks, we usually have a, have some ice cream at Molly Moon's. He was right. And my immediate reaction was it's not racist and not everything is racist. And what is going on with everything being labeled racist? But when we really looked into it, he was absolutely right. <laughs> and so I, I, I think this, this younger generation, we, just, we, we, we have to get rid of these old men that are running for the presidency. I think we have to get minorities and women in there, especially that look more like us, that look more like the House of Representatives than the Senate, right? And, and, and I think as younger people are now getting a seat at the table, I think we'll see them run for office. And I, and I, and I think we all understand that we are all on a journey and there's other places you can go now to get answers. You, you don't have to go to a church on Sunday. You can go to a yoga class on Monday. And sometimes there's answers in there for you 
too. And if you look at the life of Christ, a liar, a lunatic, or exactly who he said he was, even if you believe the biblical story, he didn't have a PA. He didn't have a devil-busting satellite like Jim and Tammy Baker did. He didn't have his own TV show. He wasn't on the internet. I mean, if you're going to come and change the world, now would be the time, right? He didn't have any of that. He just just had 12 wise guys that followed him around, and then he got hung on a cross, and he disappeared. Or did he never had a Ludwig drum set? (laughs) Hey, you guys. Talk about the church with all the Ludwig drum sets. For some reason, churches love Ludwig. I don't know why that. And Pearl. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this Ron and Don show. We appreciate you. And if you need us, uh, just reach out. Yeah, email me directly, ron at ronanddon.com. You can go to our website if you want to just poke around a little bit. Uh, That's ronanddonsitdown.com. And let's team up. Let's get you moving in the right direction for real estate. If, If life happened to you and your family where maybe you have a loved one that passed away and there's a piece of real estate, you're trying to figure out what to do with it. We are experts at that. So uh, you can give us a call or give us an email and we will set up a time with you ASAP. Head up, shoulders back. We'll see you next time. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and keep blowing that trumpet and we'll see you next time. Only. 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 Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Only.